Hey folks, welcome back. This is Andy with the Poor Proles Almanac. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, and wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, you can find us on Patreon. If you're enjoying what we're doing here and you'd like to help us cover the costs of hosting the podcast. We don't explicitly offer any of our traditional content focused on the specific goals of this podcast to our Patreons in terms of limited access or anything like that right now. Knowledge is for everyone, but we have started up a Patreon-only miniseries called The Prologues, during which we do some various critiques on ecological subject matters. We've also included clips of this entire series up on the Patreon as well, so if you want to hear stuff from all of the episodes, go check it out. We've also released one episode that was asked for by popular demand for public consumption, so that's a good place to check it out and see if you'd like to hear more. On top of this content, we've got stickers available, and we're including some footage from my farm, putting the theory we're talking about into practice. So if you want to see what's going on over there, check out the Patreon. Any support we can get to offset our actual costs, we fully and wholeheartedly appreciate. So if you can, go check it out. We're also on Instagram and Facebook if you'd like to follow us over there. So in this episode... We're talking with Patrick Farnsworth from Last Born in the Wilderness. Patrick has spent the past few years building his catalog of interviews with some renowned guests that you've probably heard of if you listen to our podcasts. He tackles the same subject matter we do on the Poor Pearls Almanac, but we will admit with a more deeper focus on the psychological and collective impacts on humanity in regards to collapse, climate change, and um, all sorts of isms that we go over in this conversation. In, in our talks with him, we try to pair these two different perspectives or different focuses into a one cohesive conversation between what he's been doing and how that plays into a lot of the, uh, the focuses that we've been focused on, which is around the idea of how do we rebuild and what does that collapse look like and how do we deal with it? So that's kind of where we end up, the conversation ends up going. Yeah, maybe just try to absorb and see... Uh, where the conversation took us. Yeah, so if you do enjoy the conversation, go check out his podcast, Last Born in the Wilderness. Please go support his work. It's really great, and it was a really big inspiration for this podcast. So hopefully you enjoy this conversation. So, hi, Patrick. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us. I've been a longtime listener of yours. Last Born in the Wilderness was actually one of the first podcasts that I'd ever really listened to. I was never really into podcasts until about a year and a half ago. So this was, I don't even remember where I found it, but it sounded interesting to me. And um, it's, I guess, no surprise that it, you know, translated into this podcast that we're doing. Uh, and it, it brings up a lot of these really important conversations that I don't think we're really spending a lot of time talking about, specifically for what you're doing, the psychological impacts and the long term acceptance of climate change, and ultimately climate collapse. What got you into uh, that topic and kind of what propelled it into what it is today in terms of the podcast? Well, first, thanks for having me on. And like you said, before we start recording, I'm the one usually asking the questions. So it's kind of, it's good to challenge myself in this way to, you know, answer some questions instead. So anyways, thank you. I'm really a fan of your work too. So thank you for what you said. And and it is flattering to hear that people listen to my work and that inspired them to do their own thing too. So that's great. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I don't know, everybody has their moments when they kind of come across the disturbing information surrounding climate change and 
the state of the planet regarding like the ecologies and the biosphere as a whole. And I don't know, I guess I was in my early 20s. I'm like in my early 30s now. So this is about a decade ago. I'd already become fairly politicized, you know, reading a lot of leftist theory and about U.S. foreign policy and imperialism and getting into sort of an anti-capitalist perspective on things. So I was already in that space. And I guess I had sort of been aware, I mean, everybody was becoming aware of climate change. I mean, I don't know what, 2006 was when like Al Gore's documentary came out, right? And of course, it's ridiculous to look at it now because it's like he he's a, he's a billionaire. He's a very wealthy guy, he ran for president and was a vice president and all that. But he brought that subject to the forefront of people's minds in at least the English speaking world. And, um, of course the solutions were now, again, looking at it now, it seems so ridiculous and trite, like get some better, more efficient light bulbs, you know, I don't know, make better decisions as a consumer and it's nothing really radical about any of that. It was just like, be better at, just be more conscious of how you're spending your money. Like that was all it really was. And so I think I had kind of been thinking about that, but I hadn't really, um, interrogated that too much in my thinking yet. Um, but then I did come across a more comprehensive view of climate disruption and the concept of like tipping points and feedback loops and how the planet had already risen by well over one degree centigrade, uh, or Celsius since the pre-industrial era. So over what, 200 years or a little over 200 years, we've seen just a one to 1.5 degree, uh, rise in temperature. And they were already saying like, okay, well, there's certain things already locked in. We already have this much heat that we're able to measure, but much of that heat has been trapped in the oceans. We have this, we have over 400 parts per million uh, of carbon in, uh, in the atmosphere. And certain, again, certain feedback loops have already been triggered. So we can expect more heating to happen regardless of whether we stop emitting carbon right now. If we were just to stop right now, that would be great, but we should expect at least another two, three, or four degrees of warming over the next several decades. And then you start to realize that the things that are being predicted by the IPCC or other uh, intergovernmental bodies or other you know, uh, international bodies of scientists and so on, that the predictions they had about ice loss in the Arctic or the Antarctic or the loss of ice and you know, on um, with glaciers or all of these things that are like canaries in the coal mine. And they say, oh, well, we don't project that to really be happening until, I don't know, maybe several decades from now. Some of the stuff they predicted would happen in 2070 is happening now. Mm -hmm. So it's like the common thing you hear in news articles that are reporting on, on the climate is like faster than previously expected. Like, that's just a common thing that you hear over and over again. So the signal is we are rapidly changing, uh, the industrial system is rapidly changing the climate system. And what does that mean to live on a planet that is several several degrees warmer than where we are currently? What does it mean to live in a, on a planet that is changing that rapidly? What does it mean for other life on the planet to undergo such a rapid change as well? Mm -hmm. And of course, the concept of the Anthropocene, uh, of the six mass extinction comes up on that. Uh, when you start to research that, you start to recognize that we're undergoing a massive cataclysmic shift on this planet right now. And what does that mean to exist within the context of a global capitalist system? What does that mean to exist within a nation state such as the United States 
or any other like global, uh, any of the other nation states that exist globally right now. You know, you start to think about this. And so I started to have these thoughts and this information come into my mind uh, when I was in my, again, my early 20s. And I think inevitably you have almost an existential crisis when you start to really like think about that. Like, yeah, been there. <laughs> you know, it's, it's that holy shit moment. You're like, okay, now what do I do with that information? And I didn't know what to do with that information. And it was hard to talk to other people about it around me that I w- that was in the, you know my vicinity, my friends or my family. Um, so I did start the podcast around that time, but I was a very unfocused and um, unsure what to do with myself at that time. Didn't know how to like channel my passion or my um, what whatever gifts or skills I had at that time into something. And then I would say about four years ago, something clicked and I just decided I needed to take a few risks. You know, it's a very real thing to feel that what they call it imposter syndrome because I'm not a college. I, I know I didn't do well in school. I dropped out of high school. I've been depressed most of my teenage and, and into my 20s years, right? Like I've, I just felt like I'm not qualified to be talking about these things or to be putting out a podcast about these subjects. But something clicked. I don't know what happened. Something shifted in my life at that point, And I just decided, you know, I need to buy microphones. I need to get some recording equipment. I need to figure out how to interview people. And I need to just take the risks um, to put myself out there and know that I'll make mistakes along the way, but that's okay. And that's a part of the process. So anyway, I mean, that's pretty much how it started is I just felt like I needed to know that I'm not alone. I needed to know that other people were thinking about these things as well. And I just am a very curious person. And so it became Last Born in the Wilderness as it is today. Right. Yeah. That's an amazing, amazing story. It seems your curiosity for the subject matter that you're, you know, passionate about it didn't seem like the answers were readily available it seemed like the answers at the time weren't even all that accurate because you talk about how the planet warms you know one degree celsius and it's not so much that the planet is warming um that's the issue with climate change it's the rate at which it's warming so you talked about how rapid it was and that's something that a few years ago i feel people would have conflated the two and they are different but even having that basic understanding of what climate change actually is, is, is super important. And so, I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's where you started and sort of went down a rabbit hole and um, the work yeah. that you've done just, you know, starting on those, those surface topics, it, it's, it's brought a lot of things to light that, like you said, you're not alone. Like I've had those thoughts too. I'm just glad you've yeah. done the work and had the conversations cause I don't have to stay up at night thinking about, you know, am I going crazy or do other people feel yeah. this way too? Yeah. And, and I just want to say like you and I've had so many people reach out to me and send me very, sometimes it's overwhelming how sweet people are and how much people really want to share how, how meaningful it is. Like the internet's a weird fucking place for so many reasons, but you put a thing out there and you don't know how it's going to land. And then when some stranger who you'll probably never meet in real life sends you one of the most heartfelt things that you've read about, oh, I listened to this episode and now I don't feel alone anymore in this I, I don't even know how to respond to that adequately I try my best I really do but like god like that's 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 a lot and it 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 means it means a lot to me that people are willing to reach out and say that to me yeah yeah sure. I think the first for me uh experience with the podcast like 
translating in that kind of way was when we had recorded a couple episodes and I was like, oh, if anyone, if like 10 people listen to this, I'll be shocked. Like, how are they going to find it? And, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, you get, you get like one message and it's like you said, somebody's like, I listened to this and it like changed my entire thinking about like our first episode. It, they're like, it changed my entire thinking about climate change and kind of humanity's role in it and what our response should be. It, it's just yeah. like uh, like the imposter syndrome piece. Like you're, if you feel like you're you're winging it, and people listen, and they're like, "No, that makes so much sense," and it validates how you feel. And mm-hmm. also, like you said, there, there's really no words to describe that that feeling of somebody else having that kind of response to what you've done. And uh, it, yeah. it's a really weird thing, um, podcasts. Um, it, yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I don't know what else to say about it. Yeah. And putting putting our media out over the internet, like you were saying, the internet is a crazy place. There's a whole lot of negativity and fraud and a whole lot of imposters mm-hmm. and trolls and all sorts of things out there. But when we do make those connections with people, it's a very, it's a, it's a human connection that feels strange because it comes through, you know, a computer screen like you said you're never going to meet them face to face but you yeah. you and that other person know that you connected over whatever concept or con- conversation that was had and you know you can always yeah. have that yeah well i just think the nature of the topics that i i'm talking about and you're talking about on the, on your podcast on this podcast it's like uh if you can find other people that are resonating with that message that bond is really strong. So there are people that I really love that I've become very good friends with that I probably won't ever meet in real life because of that, right? Because if you can't find other people in your geographical location that you can talk to about these things with, then you're going to find other people in other ways. And the internet, with all of the issues that it has, obvious, you know, obvious issues, it is a medium for communication and um, putting out a podcast is sort of like throwing out a signal like and then and, you know, it is weird. Like, I think it. I think that feeling you have when you're having a great conversation with somebody, you can get that same feeling from listening to a podcast, but it's a little one sided. Right. So people will know a lot about you, but you don't know anything about them. So there's this weird type of familiarity that's there. So people were like, I know so much about you, Patrick, but I'm like, I have never met this person before. Right. And it's just, it's kind of interesting. And I don't know, it's, it's a, it's sort of uncharted territory for, I think, human beings, but you know, here we are. Yeah. It's, um, it's like the celebrity status without all the other things that come with celebrity status. Yeah. And yeah. you just gave me permission to call myself a pioneer. So I'm, I'm taking that title. <laughs> that sounds cool okay. as shit. Put it on my yeah. resume. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Put it on your CV. Uncharted territory, people. Right. <laughs> we're doing it. Yeah, for sure. So, I, you know, you've had all these different people, and I don't want to simplify your podcast, but I would say it's pretty focused on climate change and the role of capitalism and colonialism within climate change. So having interviewed all these people, you're up to, what, 180-ish episodes at this point, I think? No, I'm actually I was around... 260. Um, no, I'm actually around... I just released 295. Oh, wow. 295, man. Okay. I, yeah, don't know I mean, I will about. say like <laughs> some of those episodes got taken down and the first like, I don't know, there's a whole story there. But the whole point is I've technically done 295 episodes at this okay. point. Yeah. But yeah. you're you probably know better than I do. <laughs> That's a lot of editing. So what did it feel like to kind of get this affirmation when all of these different people were 
kind of saying, no, you're not crazy. These are real problems. And in some cases, they're a lot worse than even you think. I mean, it it really, it, the affirmation is great. And there is that sense of also like, it's actually worse than you may have even thought. And part of the way you mentioned the, you know, the, the intersections between colonialism and capitalism and these things. So my view of like collapse has changed over the years and my view of climate disruption has changed because I realized, because I think there's this reductive quality when we talk about climate change, which is fine sometimes, which is just saying like carbon emission from industrial activity is warming the planet. But it's more than that. And it's like, what are the systems that produce the conditions to begin with? And so that's where you dig into questions about capitalism. And then you figure out where where did that come from? Well, there's settler colonialism. Well, what did that produce? And it's just like this onion that you have to peel back and you realize like, that's why I talk about race so much or the issue of white supremacy so much, because I don't think any of this shit would have happened without white supremacy, to be honest with you. Or, you know, all of like and capitalism produces the certain certain conditions to um, that exploit the environment. So even without climate change, let's just say climate change wasn't even a part of the picture. Let's say that wasn't even something that was looming over us constantly. We're still undercutting all the living systems of the planet through industrial uh, expansion, the ways that agriculture, you know, decomplexifies our environments. Uh, transfer, you know, taking really biodiverse regions that support countless life forms to basically supporting like two or three. And that's basically what modern agricultural uh, projects do. It takes a rainforest or takes some other piece of land that has really complex ecosystems. And then it's like, let's turn that in piece of land to just grow like soy or corn or some other crop so that we can then raise cattle to then feed human populations. So there's like three organisms that are benefiting from that benefiting i use quotations around that so it's again it's like even without climate change the collapse that we're anticipating that is unfolding is happening for a new for numerous reasons so i guess like being exposed to different people who um who are coming at this subject from so many different angles exposed me to the complexity of the situation and that um, it felt very good to be affirmed that, yeah, you know, things are quite, it feels strange to say that it feels good to be affirmed in knowing that things are as bad as they really are, but it does, it does help you feel like I'm on a good path here. I'm not crazy. If I use those words crazy, I don't feel because sometimes you feel like you're out of line. Right. And I think, you know? right. And I think it's not, uh, the affirmation of, uh, you know, knowing things are bad. I feel like it's the affirmation of knowing you're in the right place to start, you know, attacking the problem rather than, yeah. you know, being in the wrong p position mentally or or just coming at it from the wrong approach, the wrong angle. Yeah. Well, and also it's like um, something that I've really tried to push back against in my own way is misanthropy, which is the, you know, when people blame humanity for all of these problems as if like human beings as a species is responsible for all of this like there's something intrinsically wrong with human beings homo sapiens and not looking at the broad scope and diversity of human beings human cultures human societies that have existed for as long as we've existed as a species um and just thinking like oh there's just like rotten with us and that we deserve our extinction 
which is not how I approach it at all. And I think that it's it's really just fucking racist because you're excluding indigenous peoples and all of these other groups of people that have lived on their land bases for thousands and thousands of years and have actually lived in a regenerative capacity, a reciprocal, they've had a reciprocal relationship that they've developed with the ecologies of the land uh, that they are on. And so when I think about like, regardless of what happens in the future, if we're going to have anything that allows us to um, continue uh, to survive, it's going to be reclaiming those things. It's going to be living within that framework of reciprocity and regeneration. Um, so yeah, that's the thing that I guess that I, I've recognized in doing my work is knowing what the enemy really is. It is not human beings. It is systems. It is ways of thinking. It's thought forms. It's a, it's a life destroying culture that we, whether we, we didn't mean, you know, I didn't choose to be born in this time as much as you two weren't born at uh, choose to be born in this time in the bodies that we were all born into. But we have to like reckon with the realities that we are a part of and then we have to make the choices that we can based on that. And so there's something griefful in that as well. Uh, there may be a lot of emotions that come up when we recognize where we really are right now in all of this. But we have to take, I guess, some responsibility as human beings and decide what to do with that information. Yeah, I hope that so, answers your question. As yeah, well. yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> you're, you know, you're stating that you're an agent um, to solve these problems and to do it with all inclusion, like everybody's included. I think mm -hmm. a lot of people do say, like you said before, um, with sort of some cynicism, they want to reclassify humans as a parasite or you know something that yeah. has a negative connotation. And yeah. you're right. I, I don't think that really applies. I think there can be an all-inclusive way forward, but it's going to, that inclusivity is going to change, you know, the way people see other humans. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it, it really ties down to this idea of understanding the human role in ecology, which mm -hmm. we've been so far removed from. It, it's allowed for a lot of, uh, like, I guess, consumable forms of naturalism that are easily accessible and it, they've really sprung up in the last 10 years or so as kind of like um, I, I almost want to call them like false prophets around like this idea of like we can you know we can apply these ideas of ecology to our farming systems and we don't really have to change much and it it ignores the fact that that's not how ecology works uh, we can't mm -hmm. just change a couple things and the system just gets tweaked a little bit and we can fix our food system. It's a, it's yeah. a good way to uh, stave off the collapse for a little while, but it's not really a solution. It's a, it's um, buying some time, but we, mm -hmm. we do need to do a lot of that soul searching. And we see this, you know, for example, you know, a lot of right now in California, there's a lot of work being done to try to uh, work with indigenous cultures and slash and burn to manage for fires and things like that. But we can't just piecemeal something like that in where they those uh, groups are now going to be involved in managing the land, but it's only for uh, you know a month every couple of years or whatever it is. That that's you know that's the capitalist mm -hmm. mindset of you know we can kind of plug and play, and all we have to do is just enough so that the ecology doesn't fully collapse. 
and uh, that that's it's going to take some time and thoughtfulness to come to some real meaningful and likely drastic changes. Right. And so I guess that'll bring me to my next question. Uh, at the beginning, I'm not sure if we were recording, but we were talking about Al Gore bringing up um, climate yeah. change back in the early 2000s and how that was a new concept at the time and um, how the solutions he had seemed they are ineffectual. But what they really were was just incremental changes from, you know, normal everyday life. That wasn't anything earth shattering. Some or small gonna, tweaks are going right, to fix everything. Right. Yeah. And I feel like that's the kind of approach that seems to be applied with people, you know, trying to um, upgrade industrial agriculture with this small scale ecological approach that's sort of supposed to be the bandaid that fixes everything. Where do you see the future where people aren't getting, you know, the shock from the changes that are going to need to be made. Because you talk about climate change and people automatically think, you know, that you're going to make them live in a treehouse and use leaves instead of toilet paper and all, all of these crazy changes. How do you turn the information that you have about collapse into bite-sized information that will, that, you know, normal, I guess, for lack of a better word, normal people can consume and, and actually do something about? Hmm. Um, I guess it depends on the person I'm interviewing. So sometimes it's a big, sometimes it's like this almost like big brain kind of perspective, like a meta perspective. Like let's look at this broad thing that's happening and like look at it from that perspective. And then I'll have people on that are like, let's just talk about like basic skills that you can have to, I don't know, like learn, like, I don't know. Someone I, I interviewed was like, um, Emma Catherine, she, uh, she's a, uh, she lives in the UK and she does a lot of like, uh, uh, I guess you can call it witchcraft, but a lot of it just is like, if you've read her stuff, it's just, I don't know, there's something really soothing about her work because it's like, this, this is how you make broth. This is how you go out and find like, you know, how you forage, you know, find basic things that you can cook with. Um, you know, she talks about self-defense. She talks about like, all these really practical skills that, you know, the average working person may feel like they can't do, which, you know, some of that's true, but a lot of it's not. A lot of it's just because we're exhausted and we just don't know what to do and we believe that we have to just, you know, go buy takeout and that's the easiest way to, to feed ourselves. But she really just tries to be like coming from a place of like, you know, these are little things you can do and don't be hard on yourself because you can't do it right now, but you can build towards it. So I guess for me, the, the bite-sizedness of it is really, uh, that's why I, I like to have the diversity of people I have uh, on uh, because some people w need to have the existential conversation. They need to look at it like, oh my God, like I'm freaking the fuck out and I don't know what to do about this and I can't sleep. And now I listened to this interview that Patrick did with Dar Jamal and now that makes me feel a little better. Okay, cool. Um, or like, I just need to know that I can do something. So, you know, the Emma Catherine episode helped with that too. So for me, I just want to like, I want to look at it on the big scale on the medium scale on the small scale and just see like people are coming at this subject around collapse around, you know, really big things, right? Um, they're coming at it from different stages in their own acceptance process. And so certain things are going to attract them to my work particularly and I just I hope that that helps you know because I'm interested in on, on all those different levels like I'm not going to be contained 
I'm not going to look at it just from one lens or one angle. I, and I want people to, if they're coming at it from the big, the, the big, uh, meta view, cool. But then we need to start thinking about what you can do right now to ground yourself psychologically, spiritually, emotionally, but also materially. So there are people that can talk about that. You know, like, so for me, I guess the, I don't know if it's a bite-sized thing, but I, I just look at it and I see it all being a thread that leads to the same place, which is how do we be in this time, a time of great uncertainty and ambiguity and confusion. And if anything that has, you know, shown that it's been just this last fucking year of like, how long is this goddamn pandemic going to continue? Oh, it's going to last probably a couple of years. Oh, that's great. Oh, maybe this is just one of several, <laughs> you know, like, like that's scary, but like, you have to think about it day by day, moment by moment. And, um, and hopefully through these experiences that we're all having collectively, we can take steps forward just so that we don't lose our minds. Right. Yeah. And you want to talk about that. You want to talk about affirmations at the beginning of the pandemic march of 2019 my brother asked me march of 2020 you mean march of 2020 sorry march yeah. of 2020 <laughs> what year is it even i it's been five Still years 2020 hasn't it? um no yeah. my my brother asked me he, he asked me how long do you think this pandemic is gonna last and i said realistically like do you want my real answer and he was like yeah like six months three months i was like no man this is minimum we're looking at two years and he looked at me like i was crazy and every day yeah. he, like he's like i'm gonna buy you a coffee or something because he didn't expect anything like this um he didn't realize that we weren't as resilient as we thought we were and you know i had been looking into collapse and looking at all the weak points and everything like that and just sort of come to my own conclusions and then yeah. i get you know that affirmation and i felt fine you know not not fine i guess i felt good that I was in the right mindset to start yeah. thinking about how to tackle these problems, but it made me feel terrible that I was right in this instance. Yeah. And I think that if there's no like fix all, that's the thing, right? Is like the only thing you can really do is recognize certain things will happen. You don't know how they'll happen exactly, but having the right mindset helps a lot, but it doesn't stop you from feeling feelings. Right. It doesn't stop you from feeling sad or depressed or upset or you have grief or anger, you know, like it's not going to comfort you. It's just going to help you not completely shut down and go into a state of denial and lose your shit. And that's really important right now. We need to be able to build those. Uh, we need to have the ability to comprehend what's happening as it's happening and make the right decisions within the time that we have. And just to speak about the pandemic, like, I had my own denial about that. Like I realized like as much as I talk about denial and trying to overcome denial about a lot of these things, no one is immune to these types of think this way of thinking about things. Like I remember being in an international airport in like February of last year, flying back to the US and hearing on the intercom, anybody in mainland China in the last two weeks, please, we have to talk to you. Like step aside. Like and I'm like, Something's big is happening. I don't know. I think this is going to get weird. And then within a month of coming back to the States, lockdown, travel restrictions, wearing masks, you know, like the whole thing. And so, and I was in, I was in a state of denial about it at the time. I was like, oh yeah, this will be a few weeks. And I did not anticipate that really the, one of the worst things about this type of situation we're in currently 
is it's the, yeah, the public health situation is frightening and I don't want to get sick and I don't want other people to get sick and all of these things, but it's the way that people react to these situations. So as much as we got to prepare materially and psychologically and all this stuff, we got to expect that there's a lot of people who are not prepared and a lot of people are deeply invested in really toxic ideologies and uh, ways of living and being. And that if that gets threatened or challenged in any way, they will lose their shit. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah. yeah. So that's a part of the picture too. And I wasn't sure about that until this last year. I'm like, oh, okay. So I think that's another aspect. We have to learn how to discern better, read into things better, find out who our allies and comrades are in this time. And that's a good place to start too. Right. Yeah. I've only seen a panic response and a couple of fire alarms and fires that I've been in, but seeing the whole nation have a panic response to when they're, you know, they got caught with their pants down. I think it was a combination of not being prepared and anxiety that the people who are supposed to be in power, they weren't prepared either. People just sort of freaked out. And I wasn't sure how how far it was going to go before it sort of tapered out. There's this Netflix series that I think was on some like cheapo like bravo knockoff type show what's it called doomsday preppers it's like they find these people and they just like play them up to like the stereotype crazy people of preppers how have i not seen this (laughs) it's so good and um so what one thing that's really interesting is they like it'll be like oh i'm preparing for an emp and they like go through everything and one of them is preparing for like a, a medical um or a a virus outbreak or something like that and like at the end of every episode to like quell the fears of the audience they're like experts say you know the risk of a giant earthquake or whatever and then the one on the medical experts i just happened to see it like in january of last year and it was like experts say the chances of a medical or a a virus or something taking hold are like 10 percent in the next 50 years but the united states is well prepared and stocked and blah 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 and it's just like it's so funny like the arrogance and like the show like i've read that a lot of the people on the show were like trained to pretty much be insane uh, like a lot of those reality tv shows are you mean they were actors but they weren't real actors they were just like people that were kind of preppers but then they were just like hey show us the craziest shit you got and um like just played it up but it was just like really interesting, like the arrogance and the way they presented that information. And, you know, now in retrospect, I think it was filmed in like 2010. I got to go watch that episode. But yeah. So if, if you have Netflix and you got some time to kill and you don't want to and you want to feel better about the way you prep, that that's a good one. It's like that movie Contagion. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie Contagion. And I watched that a few months ago and it was eerily accurate in some ways. But the thing that they could not even anticipate and this was the funny thing is that there there is like the snake oil salesman like conspiracy theorist thing where he's like I think he's played by like Jude Law or something in the mm-hmm. movie but mm-hmm. he's just some blogger right he's just some blogger online saying like government's hiding all this information and blah 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 you know and I have this solution I have this uh you know snake oil I want to sell to like deal with this problem before the vaccines even come out um turns out that Hollywood writers couldn't even imagine that the one like pitching the snake oil bullshit was actually going to be the president of the United States. Like they couldn't imagine that a fucking grifter con man would be the one to do that. Like that it would be a reality TV star, a former reality TV star. You know what I mean? They just couldn't enter their imagination. It's just too, too outlandish. It sounded too crazy. Yeah, No one would believe it. I mean, truth is stranger (laughs) than fiction has never fit more perfectly into a conversation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
more yeah more and more i'm realizing some of these dystopian films and, and stories are great for maybe psychologically prepping people for some of these things but even they can't really get their head around some of the shit that we're going through right now and are going to go through in the coming decades unfortunately yeah. it, it i think this all kind of ties back to um one of the things you talk about repeatedly in your podcast the concept of mourning for both humanity and the planet I was kind of curious how you define mourning in terms of, I guess, how it's evolved throughout this project for you and why you think that's so important for us to do. Well, you know, there's kind of two camps, I would say, maybe there's more, but there's two major camps in the climate change, uh, people that talk about climate disruption and all of the things I talk about. There's the people that are like us who kind of just accept certain inevitabilities and and what's going to happen is going to happen. Certainly there's things we can do, but there's just certain things that are locked in. And there's something very tragic about that. And then there's the people that certainly believe in climate change and are science, you know, a lot of them are scientists, a lot of them are people who are doing the hard work. Some of them are writers and so on, but they're like please don't even address that part of it. We will figure it out. We do have tools available to us. Governments will come together to address this. This is an engineering problem, basically, right? There's geoengineering schemes we can work on. There's, you know, a Green New Deal or something. You know, there's always something that can help us get through this and we can fix this. And I think what's happening there is... And the thing that my friend Barbara Cecil says is that there is something on the other side of grief. There is something on the other side of despair. And that we have to go through these processes in order to see that. And that there's actually, by giving up on hope, if I want to use that word hope a little bit, actually is a liberating process. Because then what can happen then is you begin to ask questions in a different way about what you can do. And you're not attached to an outcome as much. So... Are we, do we really care about these things because we think we're going to win this battle against climate change? Like, we don't do this just because we think we can win. We do it because we love the earth or we love the places we live. We love more than human life. We love our families. We love our friends. We love our communities. We don't do it because we think we're going to win. You know, you don't just give up. Like, and that's what these people that on the other, in the other camp tend to do is they think if you even address the grief or despair that comes up when you address these things it's going to lead to despondency and people are going to become like hedonists or nihilists or something and they're not going to do anything and i'm like yeah that does happen but that's not even really the majority of it that to me it's all about how you frame it it's all about how you address the subject but i think uh yeah there is a i mean I don't know. I, I find these people that are optimistic for the sake of optimism to be really obnoxious and annoying. Exhausting. And I'm, and yeah, I'm, and I'm like, if unhelpful. you're if you're in a cataclysmic event and someone just says, just think positively, you should slap them in the face because like, I'm sorry, I'm not going to, yeah, I'm going to try to get through this. Don't get me wrong. I'm going to fight like hell to make, through, make it through this thing. But don't pretend it's not what it is. Like, don't pretend it's something it's not. You know, there's something really kind of nefarious about that. It's like a form of gaslighting. And that, to me, actually hinders us from looking at it uh, accurately, assessing the situation as it really is, and then asking the right questions out of that. So for me, yeah, I mean, what do you do with information that tells you that 
oh, well over half of all the wildlife in the world has gone that's disappeared in the past like four or five decades. What do you do with that information? What do you do with the fact that all the coral reefs are going to be gone within the next few years? What are you going to do with the fact that the sea ice in the in the summertime is going to be gone in the Arctic? You know, what do you do with the fact that sea level rise is destroying communities around the world, particularly indigenous communities in the global north and in the global south? Like, what do you do with that information and how it's going to affect you personally and those that you don't know? Like, that's grief. Like, what do you do with that? You can't pretend it's not there. And that is a really integral part of the whole process of dealing with it. And that's going to motivate people, I think, to make significant changes in how they live and how they treat other people. Like, just their personal relationships. Like, the fact is, is regardless of all this shit, we're all going to die. You know, it's kind of ridiculous to think that this is going to last forever anyway. And when you have those moments, like, I don't know if you've, like, had those moments of, like, near death or, like, you're like, oh, shit, like, someone I know is dying or is going to die. Like, all the bullshit fades away. You're much more intentional on in how you communicate and how you act. And it, it brings a certain vitality and um, presence that you need. And I think that we can approach climate change and the inevitabilities of these things in the morning and the grief and the despair that comes up with that, that can inform that. And that's important to me um, because then people make decisions based in that place and it could be very positive decisions. It also can go in a bad direction. And that's why we have to really work to build like resilient communities right now in order to address some of the inevitabilities that are going to come out of this, this global situation. And I feel like um, in your last response and, and one earlier i think you you bring up this concept of defining your agency like what you have control over and sort of accepting the things that you know like you said they're sort of inevitable you can't really change those things just sort of accept them and then have the the foresight and the ability without distraction to focus on the things that you can affect mm-hmm. all of this you know you're talking about there's like these two camps and that first camp that's kind of pie in the sky, it, is there any hope for bringing them back to reality? <laughs> Do you think? Or is that it, just like their crutch? I don't know. I think there's like de- layers of denial there. And I think part of it is like some of these people have like careers that they have. They're invested. Like their egos are invested. They're financially invested. Like, they they have a certain amount of social capital and prestige that comes with that like i don't know what to do with that like i don't know like um <laughs> sometimes if if they're okay let's say it's like let's say it's not one of those people let's say it's not some prominent climate scientist or some writer or some person who writes for new york times or whatever right it's just some average person yeah you can have a conversation with them i don't know i don't know how else to do that but you just sort of like hey like what do you think and what do you think is going to happen when this and this happens you know, like it, it's, I don't know, there, it's like the same thing with the pandemic. You know, you were, um, you were talking to your, was it your brother about that? Mm-hmm. And he yep. was like, it'll be a few months or a few weeks. You know, unfortunately, there's only one way that they'll understand certain things. And it's that, well, it just happens. And uh, they'll, their whole worldview shifts. And we all have those experiences. Some of the biggest and most important lessons that we have in our life are, kind of brought to us without wanting them to happen. Like they just happen, you know? Um, 
and uh, I think we're collectively learning something right now, and uh, we're being forced to address certain things. And I think we also kind of have to accept that a lot of people just aren't going to get it. And so we just do our thing, and we hope that when they wake up to it, however that is, they'll come to us, and we'll have the ability to help them on their path. That's all I got. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I, I feel <laughs> that's like, all we can do, really. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like deep down, there's this very primitive part of us that is very aware of what's happening and that something's wrong, and mm, yeah. like. I think we all feel it and we're all just responding to it in different ways. Um, it's just like, I, you know, I know a lot of older boomer hunter kind of guys, old school conservatives, and they'll tell you like, oh yeah, the climate, you know, it doesn't snow like it used to. And then you're like, yeah, because of climate change. And they're like, no, it just doesn't snow like it used to. And I'm like, you know, it's there. I, I don't know what to do to, to yes. just say, yes, this is the same thing because it's t so tied up in politics. Yeah, it's it's really hard because it's like, you know, you you uh, you want to talk about like anarchism or socialism or any sort of leftist ideas, and you ask if you if you don't use any of those words, don't ever say leftism or anything related within that political spectrum. Don't say anything about that. And you just ask people: Do people deserve certain things like clean water or like access to food or shelter or any of these things? Right? And they're like, Yeah, of course. Like, I'm totally on board. Well, what can we do to do that? And then they start naming things that are like so obviously like that's socialism or that's communism or whatever. And but you can't say that word because it's a trigger and it's attached to this whole like thing. And it's the same for climate change. It's the same for so many other things. It's like people are seeing things. They're observing things. They're having experiences. They just don't have a framework to understand what it is. And I don't know what to do with that either. Like, I'm just going to keep making podcasts about it. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I just like keep on doing my thing, you know, and you do your thing and we all do our thing. And yeah, it's wild. You know? Yeah. I got tired of, I got tired of screaming at people, like literally <laughs> screaming at people. So I figured I'd get a microphone and talk calmly. Elliot's very yeah. good at that. It seems to be, yeah, I mean, seems to be getting a lot, lot more positive reaction. So I'm going to stick with this for a little while. Yeah, it's, you know, sometimes it is fun or it can be useful to engage in heated discussions with people. But at a certain point, you got to take care of yourself. You can't, you know, like that isn't necessarily a good place to be all the time. Where no, you're just man, like that vein in my forehead can only take so much pressure. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, yeah, I, I feel that. Like I have to be careful. Like I, and I don't, and I don't get in arguments often with people. I, I, I'm a little conflict averse to a fault which I'm working on, by the way. But, um, you know, there's a place and a time where you absolutely have to stand up for your principles and beliefs and what you know to be true based on your understandings of justice and whatnot. Um, and then there's a time and a place where you know it's not going to be fruitful and you just need to walk away, especially when you know that all the other person is doing is trying to get a rise out of you. And that's not useful for anybody. So, yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> I... You know, this conversation about climate change and collapse is so, it's so all-encompassing that it almost becomes hard to, like, I, to even really focus on anything particular within it because of the fact that it is, you know, it, it, we can't imagine what it will look like as the, as we get into the, the heavy throes of climate change 
Uh, you know, we, we got a taste of it the past couple years between COVID and like what's happened in like Texas with the snowstorms yeah. and, you know, the government's impotence in dealing with anything. And, you know, I, I feel like I'm the only person that seems to think this, that the insurrection could have been so much worse so easily. Uh, oh, um, I and I feel like with you. I feel like the left has been really has done a poor job of taking it seriously that we just kind of mock them for being a bunch of, you know, people that are crying that they didn't get what they wanted. But in reality, somebody climbed into a window with a gun. If they had shot somebody, our history, we would be in a, a very, very different place right now. And I, I don't think that can be understated that, you know, all it takes is something as simple as that for the for the course of history to change significantly. Yeah. And like, we don't have the systems in place to keep anything like that from being in check. And that goes back to this idea of the resiliency. And, you know, if climate change isn't bad now, and it's already kind of fueling some of these issues, then, you know, what are we in for in the next, you know, 20 years? And 20 years isn't long. We're almost double that. And that it seems like a blink of an eye. Well, I just want to say that I agree with you about the coup. It was a, it was a coup attempt. I just want to be very clear. That is exactly what it was. People want to downplay it and say it was an insurrection, and, and and that's that's maybe an appropriate word. I don't know. It's a siege, whatever the fuck we want to call it. But that was a coup attempt. Liberal democracies are not structured or equipped to battle fascism. It's just not. So people believe these institutions we have are super resilient. People were not as worried as they should have been leading up to January 6th after the election and the results and everything that Trump had done over the years and over particularly over the last few months to say and instill in his cult following, his base, that the election will be fraudulent if he loses. There were so many red flags. And because of our myopic view of things in the United States, we could not imagine that what happens in so many other countries around the world would happen here. But just like every fucking empire before us, the war comes home. What we do to other places comes home. So what we're doing now is just to ourselves. It's, it's amazing. Like we're eating ourselves alive at this point. So when you think about climate change as well as an even bigger thing, you've got so many intersecting things happening. You've got rising fascism as a response to a lot of the things that are happening connecting to climate change. Um, you, oh, sorry, I just get overwhelmed. I, I think about all this and this is why like I've people, I don't know if people wonder, but they're like, why is Patrick talking so much about fascism on his podcast right now? I thought it was about climate change. I'm like, you have to understand that fascists take advantage of crises to get into positions of power. And also we need to understand that they're going to use this subject of environmentalism or, or ecology or climate change. And, you know, I mean, like some of the mass shootings, the white supremacist mass shootings we've had over the years have stated in each of their manifestos that like, oh, yeah, like one of the reasons why we're having so many issues with the environment is because we're letting all of these hordes of brown people into our country. They're connecting white genocide as a bullshit idea, but they're connecting this idea of white genocide to environmental degradation. And this is being mainstreamed in certain ways by the Republican Party, not about the environment particularly, but they're starting to mainstream white genocide concepts. I don't know if you saw Tucker Carlson's rant recently on Fox News, but he's basically red pilling millions of Fox viewers right now about shifting demographics affecting voters, which is essentially him his way of introducing the idea of white genocide um, uh, to the American population. So 
I'm talking about all these issues on the, my podcast because I'm like, we need to understand that the institutions we have not only are unable to address climate change adequately, but they're not going to be able to stop fascism from rising and taking control of these institutions. So it sucks. It's fucking horrifying. But I think January 6th was a wake-up call. And if people are forgetting what happened then, then we're living in a state of amnesia. And we need to not do that. This isn't going to go away just because we voted in a Democrat. Yeah. And I'm sorry. Uh, we, um, we did a, a very kind of off-the-cuff episode during the summer where we did, we did our election predictions. And I'm not going to say we told you so, but... <laughs> but we pretty much were like, yeah, uh, if yeah. Biden somehow squeaks out a win... Trump wasn't going to take it lying Trump down. Trump wasn't going to take it... And then we conversely... Didn't even, we didn't even know what we meant when yeah. we said that until and, January 6th yeah. happened, but... We knew it was going to be something, but yeah, again, then, like like the Hollywood writers, like we couldn't come up with that scenario that played out at I, all. I might have actually. I think I might have. Not to call myself out, but... I, uh, that's cool. I'm, I'm I didn't know what was going to happen. But, um, you know, one of the things we also talked about and ties into what you're saying, and the reason why I brought it up is because we both were like, well, even if somehow Trump doesn't overthrow the election results and refuse to step out of office, Biden is going to provide a framework to foment the right to have an easy target who the left is not going to fight for and like <laughs> it, it's giving four years for somebody like a madison hawthorne or somebody like that to step in and be a little bit more articulate a little bit more mm -hmm. polished and still mm -hmm. make those same cogent or same arguments in a more cogent way that makes it more digestible for middle class america that maybe that would agree with Trump if he wasn't so aggressive and rough around the edges. Yeah. While there is a component that liked him because of that, I think there's a much larger... A lot of the people that voted for Biden, those those centrists, supposedly, that would fall for somebody that was like... Could speak like Mitt Romney, but said the same things as Donald Trump. Yeah, I would say that that's true. I think um, Trump has fomented something. He's stirred up something. He created a really st a strong base. And whatever happens to Trump, whether he does run in 2024 or not, I don't know. I'm not sure what he really wants to do. I don't think he really enjoyed being president. But nonetheless, he may do it. Who knows? There are better politicians than him. There are people who know how to do this better than him. And they understand that he's created something. And they're like, you know, we could really hi you know, hijack this. This will work for us. And because of the way the Republican Party has, I think ultimately what they did after that event, when Trump was impeached a second time, I think that just like if what what standard, like what would it take? What event, what thing could the president possibly fucking do to get you to vote to impeach the guy? You know, what I, or like to get him out of office. I mean, he was impeached, but he didn't get removed from office or, or face the consequences of that. I mean, he did make the comment he could shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and he'd still get elected. So, yeah, I mean, we're I mean, old enough. That's, that's setting the bar pretty high. Yeah. We I should mean, have listened to that guy. Right? You know? He, he wasn't joking. We thought he was joking. No. Like, well, what an asshole. He's <laughs> no, joking. He and he was being he was dead face serious to all of the American nope, people he when serious. he said that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think we're old enough to remember when Clinton was impeached. And now that just seems like they should have given him a medal. Fucking, yeah. <laughs> fucking stupid. Is that bad to say? Like, like what? Like it seems uh, so no. stupid in terms of like if that was impeachable, like how did we go from that to this not being considered impeachable by the entire Republican Party? 
And I mean, I guess we're kind of going off on a tangent a little bit. Sure. Uh, But I I think it all ties back into this conversation, though, about collapse. Like, you're seeing that, I think, the media likes to talk about that the parties are becoming more radical. And obviously, that's not the case. But it does speak to the fact that we're existing where everything does feel more radical. And even Mm -hmm. for us on the left, the center feels more radical in the sense that it's further to the right. Um, it, I think everything yeah. just feels magnified because there's this, like I said, there's this subconscious uh, sense that things are falling apart and we're all feeling it, even if we don't articulate it. And it's driving a lot of this like anxiety fueled, like chaos. Yes. Yeah. The yeah. past 20 minutes just proves the point that <laughs> we start with a overall all-encompassing subject matter like this conversation is loosely based around climate change and then we just (laughs) you try to pick um a topic that you can kind of zoom into and take apart and you realize it's you know the scale zooms in and out and it's connected to so many other different things that all touch on each other and you Mm -hmm. know i don't think we got overwhelmed but there were so many different directions this conversation could have gone in and yeah it's all relevant yeah, there's there's a lot to there's that's again that's why I love doing what I do is because I can explore all these different very all my curiosities can be kind of I can kind of explore them and go in different directions and understand that there's um, connections to all of these things and um, just a comment um, I am like I mentioned I did two ninety two hundred ninety five episodes so when I reach episode three hundred I'm gonna do what I did with my two hundredth episode which is go over the last hundred episodes. And make like a something of a compilation episode with like I'm gonna take like several segments of the episodes and then try to this this allows me just for myself selfishly to like tie like oh here's the threads that I followed over the past year or two or however long it's been I've been making this uh, these hundred episodes so yeah I just want to just say yeah the 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 idea for me I really am interested in how things are connected and that it's not. I don't want to I don't want to box myself in as far as like what I want to talk about. But most definitely it is about collapse. It is about awareness of collapse and um how to be within that understanding, whatever that even means, but Yeah. Right. Yeah. That that agency, right? Yeah. So all this you know one of the things I think that in when we talk about post collapse, we think about this idea of death both literally and figuratively. And in that conversation, it's always tied with this idea of rebirth. And I want to know what your thoughts are in terms of with all these conversations, how bad does climate change get? And in terms of, I guess, how we live through it and what does that birth rebirth look like? Or is there a rebirth or do we go back to being nomadic and wandering through the ruins looking for feral animals to eat? I mean, you know, the most extreme example of like what we could see is like the road, you know, I know that's a pretty extreme. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie or oh, read yeah. the book, read but... the book and seen the movie. It's good stuff. Okay. Yeah, it's a lot. It's really intense. Um, I don't know how realistic that is, because that seems to me like a nuclear. Yes. That occurred, mm-hmm. Right. But that actually could be a part of the picture because we have all these nuclear reactors everywhere and sea level rise could create, I don't know. There's a lot of things that, a lot of variables to consider about the ways in which we all could go extinct from all this. But I've been thinking about rebirth um, in part, I've been thinking about it for a while, of course, but um, 
I don't know, I did an interview with um, a writer named Ramon Elani, and uh, he had a book come out called Weird Against the Modern World, and I I have an interview that'll be coming out with him probably early next month publicly, but um, he talks a lot about modernity and how modernity is this process of this, this idea of like linearity, like we're constantly progressing and moving forward, 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 and our conception of time is profaned versus sacred time, which is cyclical. You know, there's always a return. There's always life, death, rebirth. It's always, it's always moving in cycles. And that's how the universe operates. That's how the earth operates. And that's how we operate as the organisms of this, on this planet. And by trying to break out of that, we're doing something that just is an affront to that natural process. So I really think it's possible that human beings will not survive in the next century. It's very possible. I don't know if that's true. I can't be certain, but that's something that has driven me to do what I do because I thought that that was, that was kind of something that I, that one of the conclusions I had from, you know, reading and about climate disruption. Um, but that doesn't mean I know that I don't know. And so what do I, what can we do to step out of that linear way of understanding things and understand that the collapse, as it were, that's happening and all of this is actually about returning to a cyclical process. So just like all things, our civilization is dying and should die. And we will then see new things come out of that. Something will be birthed. It may not be within our, definitely won't be within our lifetimes. It's an intergenerational thing. But nonetheless, like, what can we do right now to create the conditions for future generations to be able to live a healthy and, uh, and live in a reciprocal and regenerative capacity with the earth? I think that should be the thing that we have to think about right now. So how we grow food, how we relate with the land, how we relate with one another, like all of these things, like that is what we should be focusing on. So I think of the work of like, I have interviewed him several times and I really love the man. His name is Joe Brewer. Him and his family live in Barricara, Oh, I've, uh, I listened to those episodes. Yeah, and he's like really working to build regenerative hubs. Like how can we regenerate the land here right now and then build networks that are bioregional in their um, structure? Like how do we, how do we as human beings in our capacity as human beings work to regenerate? Like not as just in a sustainable way because sustainability is just like do no harm, but you're not really contributing either. Regeneration is like, not only are we doing no harm, but we're actually contributing to the health of other living things and other living systems. So whatever comes out of all of this, I think it's going to be decentralized communities. It's going to be based, uh, it's going to have an ecological framework. It's going to think about how can we live in a way that's going to be beneficial to us currently, but also to future generations. Um, how do we reduce trauma? How do we reduce like all of these things that are in our systems right now? That to me is what a rebirth is going to look like, if, if at all, you know, and it's going to be a multi-generational process. So again, without being attached to an outcome, who knows what's going to happen in the future, but what can we do where we're at right now to, you know, save what's already, like, what can we do to save what's already here? So what old growth forest can we still protect? What other ecologies can we protect right now? And what, who do we have to fight to protect those things? And what kind of tactics can we engage in? to do that. Um, that's a big part of it too. 
So yeah, I guess I don't know if that answers your question adequately, but to me, yeah, like regeneration and uh, the idea of rebirth is just accepting that things are going to die and fall away. Those are going to be real things like those we love, um, people, um, other forms of life, but also just the way that we think about things because they don't serve us anymore. And they never served us, honestly, but they definitely don't serve us any longer and they're going to die away too. And that's okay. And so there's just sort of a, a somber kind of acceptance of some of these things. And then, you know, try to act based in that place. Sure. That's the morning you were talking about. And then, um, mm-hmm. you know, you take that agency and you take your whatever you have control over and you do what you can to tackle the problems that are in front of you. Yes. That's all we can Basically. do. Basically. Yep. Yeah, that's Excellent. all we can do. Yeah. Doesn't yeah. so, doesn't sound like much, but damn, is it hard? <laughs> oh, it's very hard. And I mean, I I can talk about this as much as I want, and I do talk about it a lot. But for me to do it personally is really fucking hard. <laughs> so, you know, like I'm not I, I I have an ideal that I talk about, but doesn't mean I know how to match that ideal. And that's just human, you know. And we're all figuring things out, you know. And we're all trying to deal with so much in our personal lives, and we're just trying to survive half the time. So. Don't cut yourself enough slack that you don't do anything, but also cut yourself enough slack to know that you're just a human being trying to survive in an incredibly ridiculous system that doesn't make any fucking sense. Yeah, <laughs> so it's just absolutely give yourself absurd. A, a little yeah. bit of kind of crazy, you know? kind of crazy sometimes, all the time, yeah. every day. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Patrick, totally. this was really great. Um, I appreciate your thoughts. Do you have anything else? If people are interested in anything, your work? you want to plug? Uh, I mean, my podcast. Uh, you can learn more on my website, lastborninthewilderness.com. That's the good place to go. Um, I had a book published last year um, called We Live in the Orbit of Beings Greater Than Us. That was published through Gods and Radicals Press. You can learn more on my website or at abeautifulresistance.com, I believe, .com. Uh, Gods and Radicals Press, you can look that up and you'll find it there. But yeah, that's it. You know, Just check out my podcast. I'd appreciate it. Awesome. awesome. I'm sure they will. We'll plug it a couple more times. I know I'm. <laughs> okay. I've got a backlog to get through and i am interested in the book so it's on my list thanks so much thanks for your time so as always if you enjoy the episode please give us a review on itunes which heavily impacts our outreach to new listeners and helps us bring on new and exciting guests we appreciate your support and we hope you enjoyed this conversation thanks for listening to the poor pearls almanac this is elliot and this is andy signing off we'll see you guys later